Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Chuck read that passage in Isaiah, or Isaiah, good, Zechariah 5 and 6. I know you were probably listening thinking, wow, this is going to be an exciting message. And um, it, actually it is. It's very exciting. And so um, as we've gone through, I'm going to do a quick review as we come through this. We're in this section, in the second word of Yahweh to Zechariah. And in the second half of it, which I refer to as a myriad of visions. Two weeks ago, we really only covered the first vision. Today, we're going to cover the last four um, because they go quickly together. And there was a whole lot more going on in that first vision with the, um, the, the lampstands, the golden lampstands, and the, the two olive trees. And um, as we saw, as we went through the golden lampstands and the, um, the, the two olive trees, we saw that the lampstand, um, so first of all, retraction. I made a statement um, in there that I, so I, you make, I'm not going to put my retraction on the back page of the, of the, of the paper, right? So I made my, my statement in the front page, so I'm going to make my retraction on the front page too. And that is, I, I misspoke about the Solomonic, Solomonic uh, menorah, and I said that it was ten branched. It was actually ten menorahs, five on the right side of the, your right side, anyways, five on the right side of the, the entrance to the Holy Holies, and five on the left side. So... Not necessarily did it state that there was five branches, so I want to take that back, okay? But we do know that it was Levitical. It was a Levitical uh, menorah, um, going back to the descriptions that was there about it being a seven-branched menorah. And that's important part, okay, um, as well when we discussed it, was that um, as we look at this and you see menorah, the difference is the menorah um, in the Levitical, um, go backwards, every one of them has their own cup to feed the the, the lamp. But this one had a cup up top that had seven um, pipes going to each one of the lamps and that they were going to be fed from the olive trees specifically to that one cup. The cup would then branch out to the others, okay? So that, that the, actually the olive trees were feeding into it. So then we talked about the olive trees before we got into the word to Zerubbabel. We talked about who the olive trees were. And, um, and I got pressed for time. You guys don't I know I may not look like that, but I am impressed. I'm looking at that clock sometimes. Sometimes. Not always. I know. Rodney's thinking, no way. Anyways. And so I got to Revelation 13, and I didn't read it. I just talked about it. And I missed the most important part of why we want to even go to Revelation 13. We'll talk about it in a moment. So just hang on to your hats, and we're going to come back to it. Because it is the transition to what we're talking about today. Okay? This isn't just a vision about then. This is a a prophetic vision of the future as well, okay? And that's what we're going to see as we come through this. We talked about how these olive trees represented the law and the prophets in Moses and Elijah, okay? And so, and we went to a lot of different passages, but the passage that brings it all together is Revelation 13, okay? But we're going to start there um, right now, actually, I think. Well, in a moment, we talked about the words of Zerubbabel and we t- about building the temple that he laid the foundations. He was going to build it. And I mentioned that he was prophetic as well, that there was going to be a Zerubbabel in the days coming up because the temple is going to be rebuilt. OK, and so um, there is going to be one who, who does that as well. But we want to go to Revelation. So as we start this, we want to go to Revelation. And yes, we're actually going to read all these passages here. OK, so go to Revelation chapter 13. Okay, and we want to start reading there. 13 or 11? 11. 
Sorry. Revelation 11. Yes. That's, and I said 13 earlier, didn't I? That, yeah, yeah. I meant Revelation 11, 1 to 13. Revelation 1, 11, 1 to 13. Okay? Because this is, so Revelation 11 is where the final week of Daniel's vision, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, you have the vision of the 70 weeks. 69 of the weeks have already been fulfilled. 483 years have been fulfilled from the time of the decree of our desertions to rebuild Jerusalem until the cutting off of Messiah. So those have already been um, actually fulfilled. We're looking for the final fulfillment of a seven-year period, which commonly referred to is as the tribulation period, okay? Um, and nowhere in the Bible does it call it that, okay? And so just be careful of that, because every time we talk about tribulation, everybody says, oh, we can't go through tribulation, because that's a tribulation period, and we're not going to go through a tribulation period. It doesn't talk about that, okay? So, but what we do know is that that period begins here in Revelation chapter 11, okay? You'll see why, because we're going to read it, okay? There's three and a half years, three and a half years, just like God declared in Daniel chapter 9. But in Revelation chapter 11, um, we begin reading, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure. Let me stop for a moment, because why are we reading this? I believe that um, these five visions of Zechariah are revelation, these seven weeks, in a synopsis. Remember when we, we had the picture of the mountains and we talked about the telescopic nature of, of, of prophecy and you're looking out there and all you see is the top sometimes and they kind of blend together? Okay, so we're going to read all this because when we go back to Zechariah, what I want you to think about is how it kind of like is a, uh, a condensing of all this in these five little visions, okay? So, back to Revelation 11. So, I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. Okay, so the temple is going to be rebuilt, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And I will give power to my two witnesses... And they will prophesy 1,260 days. That is three and a half years. Okay? So if you want to know how long it's going to be, he's telling you both by months and by days, this is a period of three and a half years that these two witnesses are going to be on the earth. Keep going. These are the two olive trees. I never read it. I never told you that. See what I'm saying? I mean, this is the transitional moment. Okay? So we're given... Progressive revelation, we're given more information here, okay, about how to understand the book of Zechariah. So we're told who the two olive trees are. These are these two witnesses, okay? Again, who I believe probably are Moses and Elijah. I can't prove that, but based upon the rest of Scripture, that's who I really believe it is. And they represent the law and the prophets, okay? These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing for the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have the power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit that that will ascend, okay, he hasn't that sends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So what was the great city? Jerusalem. How do we know that? 
is the city that Jesus was crucified in. Make sense? Okay. So we're given all the details there. Okay. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet in great fear, fell on all those who saw them. What do you think, huh? And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. I don't have time to get into all the, the different doctrines and stuff. What I want to tell you is that in, in 2009, we did a, a year-long series on the book of Revelation. Okay, And so I encourage you, it's all up on the web. Okay, There's actually a, um, uh, a podcast of Revelation. You can podcast it into um, from your iTunes or from AntennaPod or wherever, okay? It's all out there, and you can listen to all those things. We went back, um, we took a break before we went into prophecy to go back through all the Old Testament prophecies, beginning with the feasts and coming up through, so that progressive revelation, as we got into the book of Revelation, that our understanding of prophecy wasn't based upon what we have as a doctrine, um, theology, but rather based upon what the Word of God teaches, okay? And so not necessarily are, are my views... Um, classic. So like last week when Dan and Irvin were here and they, they want to know if I'm a classic and I just kind of laugh. I'm not a classic anything. Okay. And so, um, and so, you know, you can't put me in a box on anything. I'm a pre, I'm a pre-tribulational. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, but it's not like the classic one. So anyways, but if you want to know anything about it, you got to go back to 2009 and listen to all those messages. Okay. So, but what we see then is that you got these witnesses that are going to be on the earth for how long? Three and a half years. At the end of the three and a half years, what's going to happen to them? They're going to die. They're going to die. Okay? So we have the two olive, tr- uh, olive trees that are going to be on the earth. Okay? We want to go to chapter 13 now, beginning verse 1. Because verse uh, chapter 12 are two more uh, pictures. It's about the birth of Jesus and such like that. Okay? So we're going to skip past that and continue on in the, uh, the seven years. Chapter 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. This is the final half, the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Make sense? And we're told that in the book of Daniel, um, that there would be this one who would make covenant with Israel for seven years, and in the midst of the, the seven years, he would break the covenant. That's the beast. Okay? So he continues for 42 months. Verse 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle and those who dwell. How would you describe? What would you say was a common description of this beast? Blasphemy. Good. Okay? Blasphemy of God. Blasphemy of God. Blasphemy of God. Verse 7. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. To make war with who? Saints. So there must be what? There must be some believers. People always say there are going to be believers. I defy you. There's some believers here, right? Okay? 
So it was granted him. I'm not saying that the rapture didn't happen. I'm saying that when, when the rapture happens, what's going to happen? People are going to get saved. Okay. They're going to say, oh, it was real. Okay. Hopefully it's not us, right? Hmm. Ooh. That's kind of tacky, isn't it? Well, that's real. Well, let, it go, let it drop where it is, okay? So it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. The authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises. So yeah, so he, yeah, so he looked like a what? He looked like a lamb, but he spoke like who? Like a dragon, like Satan, okay? So he, he pretended. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in the presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by whose signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, look, I don't have time. I don't want to talk about this again. You go to 2009 and you can kind of hear my thoughts on that, okay? But what I want to point out to you right away is when does this 666 happen? In the second half of the tribulation. We're not even to the what? First half. There's no temple in Jerusalem. People are sitting there worrying about the 666. Do you know what? I'm not worried about the 666. I'm not there. Make sense? Now, precursors, go back to 2009 and listen to the message, okay? I think precursors are here on the earth, okay? No problem. But I'm not worried about it right now because I'm not there. Make sense? I'm not worshiping the beast. People want to make a big thing out of stuff. Chapter 14, drop down to verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having an everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Do you note how overwhelmingly this is coming to every tribe, nation, and tongue is coming on? Why do you think it keeps saying this, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people? This is the third time we've heard it. I don't know if you figured that one out. In every one of the readings, it said that. This is applying to who? The whole world. The whole world. Okay? Okay? Because... Prophecy, from the perspective of Jerusalem, usually is applying to who? To, to Israel. Okay? So, so specific things, when we're told that this is the beyond Israel, we're told that. Does that make sense? Okay? So, um, verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. In the, another angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in an image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and who receive the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. That's also repetitive. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In the midst of it all, what are you supposed to do? Keep the commandments and faith in Jesus, right? Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Then I looked, and behold, on a, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over the fire, and he cried with a loud cry. He cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. That's a whole lot of, uh, lot of blood. Drop down to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 1 to 6. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me. This is the seven bulls of God's wrath, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the heavens of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. We just read about her in chapter 14. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the saint blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great marvel, with great amazement. Drop down to verse 18. This is the very end. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Okay, and now chapter 18, continue on. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul bird, foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornications. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup in which she has mixed, mix double for her. 
in the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Drop down to verse 23 and 24, the end of the chapter. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints, and of all who were slain on the earth. Thank you. All right, so a lot of reading in Revelation. So now I want to think about as what Chuck was reading there. Um, as we come through these, we begin with Revelation 11 with the two prophets who are the two olive trees, right? But now we come into this next prophecy of this flying scroll. And what I want to point out to you right off the bat is look at verse 3 of chapter 5. Then he said to me, this is the curse which goes out over the face of the whole earth. Every thief shall be expelled according to his side of the scroll and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of it. And there are, as we go through this, again, I, I got to do this like succinctly. However, there are so many pro, uh, interpretations of these prophecies that are out there. Okay, so for example, there's one guy who, uh, Roswell, New Mexico is at uh, longitude or latitude, anyways, 33.3. Babylon's at the same longitude, latitude, whatever, 33.3. So the flying scroll is really a flying roll. That's the shape of the mothership. Um, anyways, I, I'm not discounting it. I, I'm just. I mean, because that, I think his thoughts are on it, that I didn't get to read the whole article, but I wanted to go back and read it, is that that's demonic. Makes sense? And so that there is, um, and so his comments is how it is applicable, yada, yada, yada. So kind of interesting stuff. But there's, I'm just telling you, to give you that is to tell you the wide range of interpretations that are out there on this stuff, okay? It's just an amazing thing. However, much of it is based upon English versions, Okay? And so I hate when I do this. I really hate when I do this. I struggled with this one at the beginning of the week, like very bad struggled, um, because um, I translated. I, so I just pray about it, because I don't have time to translate all the Hebrew. I'm not as fluent in Hebrew as I am in the Greek. And so I don't have as much time. And so I just really trust the Lord to point things out to me. And I felt really led to, to look at verse 3 and to, to translate verse 3. And what I got was totally opposite of what is there. Um, and so you read that every thief shall be expelled, nacha, um, according to this side of the roll, and every perjurer shall be expelled. The problem is, the word nacha is used 44 times in 33 verses. Every, you notice I put that capitalized, every, 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 every other use, that word means acquitted, guiltless, innocent, or not punished. The only thing that come close to it is that it means that they are cleared, of the charges. And so if you want to take the word cleared and say that they are cleared, it makes no sense. So I put out a, a text to my favorite Hebrew linguist, and um, the only Hebrew linguist I know right now. And, um, and I said, quote, before, don't, don't look at the passage. I don't, want you to be, I don't want you to be influenced by English translations. 
please go to Zechariah 5.3 and translate this just in Hebrew. Just even if it doesn't make sense, translate it and tell me what you get. Because I just want to know, am I right or am I wrong? He translated exactly how I translated it. That literally, but he was better than me. I had to re- redo my computer a while back, and I didn't necessarily put all my the, the versions on there that I had on there. There is Young's literal translation that says, and he's literal translation. And he said unto me, this is the execration that is going forth over the face of the land. For everyone who is stealing on the one side, according to it, has been declared innocent. And everyone who has sworn, and then if you look at verse 4, in Yahweh's name to a falsehood, on the other side, according to it, has been declared innocent. You say, what? it's the complete opposite. Everybody is talking about the judgment of God here, and they're talking about how everybody is stealing and everybody is going to be judged. That's not what it says. Really, the judgment of God, the wrath of God, is that he hands us over to ourselves. And we start to declare justice. I'm going to show you some passages here in a moment. We start to declare justice in our own way. It's justice according to our own justice. God basically says, fine, you want to be God? You handle it. And what begins to happen? What's the curse? Well, the curse is that the ones who are stealing are what? They're let go. We vote them into office. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> the ones, think about it. Those who are committing perjury, they're swearing by God to falsehoods. What does that sound like to you? Now, I understand I'm looking at it from an American perspective here, but the concept, what does it sound like to you? Ra- rationalizing, I, I'm thinking judicial. Do you swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God? And then people do what? Say whatever they want to say. They lie. That's exactly right. What does is mean? Anyways, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. It goes all the way up to our, our top office of the land. Well, we're just talking about one nation here. It's going on throughout the whole world. In lip service, people are talking about God, but then they do what they want to do. And so I think, well, in fact, let's just go there, okay? Deuteronomy 28. You don't need to go there. Go there later because it's a long passage, and we've already read a lot of Revelation, but I challenge you to go there. Deuteronomy 28 to 30 talks about the blessings and the curses, specifically chapter 28. But if you look at it, you have all these blessings of what God will do. God will do this for you. God will do this. God will do this for you. God will do this for you. But when you get to the curse, God basically takes his hands away and says, you will become, you will become, you will become, you will become. Instead of being the head, you will become the tail. Instead of you running and 7,000 running away from you, now all of a sudden you're going to run when one comes. Instead of getting the blessings, no, somebody else is going to eat the fruit of your ground. Why? Because I'm going to take my hand off of you. Do you get it? You want to be God? You want to serve other gods? Let those other gods serve, serve you. Let them provide for you. Let's see how good that works out for you. And isn't that exactly what we see when we're reading through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the other prophets in Sunday school? That that's what God's doing. God says to him, he says, go ahead. You want to worship the other gods? You worship the other gods. And then all of a sudden Israel starts whining at God, saying what? Say again? Where's our blessings? Why did you do this? And so even in Psalm 74, which I read this morning, Asaph is crying out to God, God, how long are you going to forsake us? forsake us. That's exactly right. God never really forsake them. He just said, fine, you want to do it, you're going to do it. You're going to find out what those other gods are going to do for you, what those other nations who you want to, after, are going to do for you. And now all of a sudden, you don't what? 
You don't like the results of it. Isaiah 5, if you remember when we went through Isaiah a couple years ago, Isaiah chapter 5, there are seven woes, and they're progressive woes, which God declares prophetically that they would begin to go through. And when they turned themselves away from God, then there would be this progression where they would turn away from God. Once they turned away from God, um, they would, in turning away from God, they would follow after the things of this world. Okay, So they wanted the things of the world. That was materialism, right? Then they turned away from God. And then once they turned away from God for that, then they have to begin to start making their own morality. Once they start making their own morality, then they start making their own judgments. And it's just a progression that goes on through. Ching, 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 ching. And it's not that God's doing it to them. It's just that they're doing it to themselves. And God says, fine, you want that, you go ahead and do it. And so we read, woe to those who call good evil, in, uh, those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to the men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drinks, who justify the wicked for a bribe. Those are letting the people go who what? Steal, right? And take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as fire devours the stubble and flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust, because they have rejected the law of Yahweh Sabaoth and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And so, back to that swearing falsehood. We've got one more passage we're going to look at real quickly here. But back to the swearing falsely as well. Again, what do we see about that priest? Or priest, the beast? What was noted as the beast overwhelmingly about him? Blasphemy, blasphemy. And so all those who follow him, you would think, what? Blasphemy as well, okay? And that's the end result. I mean, that's Psalm 1. Blessed are those who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Do you get it? And that's the end result. That's the, that's the end result. You become blasphemous and scornful of God when it all plays out. You choose the things of the world, God says, fine, see where that's going to take you. Ultimately, where it takes you is you sit in the seat of blasphemy, okay? And then finally, Romans chapter 1, okay, where we talk about the wrath of God is being poured out upon men because God gives them up. God gives them up. Why did God give them up? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. How did they profess themselves to be wise in Romans, Romans chapter 1? What did they do? Yeah, they rejected God and, and, and began to worship creation. Neither were they thankful. God's giving all these good gifts, and the people aren't thankful. Rather, they are despicable, and they are despising God, and they're reproaching God, and they're blaspheming God, and they're choosing to worship the creation. And so God says again, fine, you want to worship creation? I will twice, he says, give you up to your own devices. And so the end result of that, that men will use men instead of women, and women will use women instead of men. I mean, it says it right there. So we see it in our land. It's playing out in our land. We see it playing out in the rest of the world. It's an amazing thing to me. It's being forced upon us. Why? Because as a nation, in a, as an international community, we have chosen to reject God. And God is handing us over to our own devices, Okay. So, back to Zechariah then. I want to go backwards on that. So, so, the flying scroll, okay? So, we have this scroll that comes down, the Word of God, right? And, and it's bringing what? 
curses, okay? And so I wanted to, to talk about that on that previous page. But the word curse there really is the word that is translated for oath as well. It's the negative side of the oath. So when you take the, the Hebrew word that is translated curse there in the beginning, and you do a word search on it, you're going to find out that it is translated oath most of the times. But then the, the times that it is translated quote-unquote curse, that it's the negative side of the oath. Does it make sense? We don't want the negative that, that then this will happen part. Make sense? But that's the side. That's the part that happens. And so God has basically said, I'm going to bless you. I'll bless you, I'll bless you, I'll bless you. However, you walk away, and what's going to happen? The oath. The curse. The negative side of the oath. The positive side is going to happen. Okay? So this isn't just a negative passage. I want to encourage you. That God wants to what? He wants to bless you. It's when we turn around and we walk away from God that what happens? The negative side of the oath comes into pass. You know, people always want to look at God and say, well, I can't believe God did that. Well, no, God has put it out there pretty clear. He wants to bless. He, he wants to make everything to multiply. But if you want to be your own God and you want to worship other things, then God says, fine, I'm not going to force myself upon you. You're not a bunch of automatons. Do you get it? This is one of these, to me, um, predestination things here, you know? God didn't make automatons, okay? He gives everybody a choice of who they want to worship. All right, the woman in the basket. Well, as we read Revelation, do you get a kind of picture of who this woman in the basket is? Who is it? Babylon the Great. Yes, it's exactly right. And that's what we're told here at the end. We'll get to the location. Is that it's going to be in Shinar. Okay? And so her identification is wickedness. Wickedness, wickedness. Now, what's really interesting here as well, I got false religion up here, because many times a woman, nothing personal, ladies, um, in, in the scriptures, when you have this wicked woman come in, she is personified like Jezebel as being um, one who is leading in false religion. Okay, um, usually um, governments are looked at as kings, and so you have the the horns with the crowns on the beast. Make sense? Okay, and they're given masculine concepts there. Okay, so governmental rule is a lot of times from the perspective of a man, but the religion side a lot of times is personified as a woman. Now, I'm not going to make a a, a, a declared statement here, okay? A lot of people do, and they want to say that this is the, the Roman church. I can't go there necessarily on that one, okay? However, what I want to point out here, when we, we see that um, this woman is taken and she's stuffed into the ephah, into the basket, and then the lead lid is put on top, and then two angels come, and they, they grab either side, and they fly it to the land of Shinar. Okay, we're going to come to that in just one moment. They go to the land of Shinar, and then when the base, when the foundation, when the home is ready for her, it is placed upon the foundation. Does it make sense? Okay. The land of Shinar is the plain of Shinar. It goes all the way back. Okay, we're not going to go back there right now, but you can go back and look at this. Genesis 10, Genesis 11. Okay. This is when, when um, Noah comes off of the ark. Okay. They travel to the plain of Shinar. Okay. That is where the Tower of Babel, Babel, is actually built. That is Nimrod. Nimrod becomes great in the land, okay? And um, it is the time when um, a lot of the false mythologies and religion 
were instituted. Okay, I believe, I believe, I can't prove this necessarily from God's word by itself, but using Book of Enoch and that kind of stuff, I believe that these mythologies actually were there prior to Noah. Okay, and you just have to struggle with that one. How did they then get transcended to the descendants of Noah? You know, there's a lot of times we allow our kids to, to, to watch things and read things and hear about things that aren't true. And, um, and so I, I kind of think that Noah's kids probably passed down to their kids these what? These stories, these myths. Huh? What well, we call mythologies today, yeah. And that they, again, then started um, worshiping them again. Babel, it was a ziggurat. The Tower of Babel was a ziggurat. And a ziggurat was a, was a tower that was made for every level devoted to a different deity. Okay? And so they were building it up into heaven. Okay? And so that's where Ishtar and Tammuz begins. Ishtar was the queen of heaven who gives birth to the sun god, Tammuz. Okay? There's also this kind of incestuous relationship that's there as well. And I'm not going to get into all that. But you can go back and research all this. Okay? And check this out. But that's where all of the the false religion actually begins, okay? And so, again, I, I don't have time to really to, to build all this for you, other than to, to make you realize that there's a whole lot going into all this, okay, behind the scenes, okay? And so, so this false religion thing that's playing out into here. But we also know that there is a, um, a financial side of Babylon. We know there's a governmental side of Babylon that's all within Revelation as we read that as well. This one, though, when, when we read in Zechariah, what is it fo- focused primarily upon? She's called what? Wickedness. Make sense? It's not from the perspective of government. It's from the perspective of what? Religion. Of, of the worship of God. Okay? Make sense? So there's this concept here of the false religion. Okay? And they're taking her to plains of Shinar. Now, there's a debate on whether that is physical uh, literally taking them to the physical, or, or whether that is being spoken then figuratively, whether it is there. I'm not going to make a statement on that right now, okay? It doesn't matter. What I understand it as is what, what the Bible declares as who Babylon is, okay? And that goes then into Nebuchadnezzar's vision, okay, of his dream, where he has the, um, the, 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 the statue that was the head of gold, and then the arms and chest of silver, and then the, the, the midsection of bronze, and his legs of iron, and then his feet were iron and clay mixture, and there were ten. That goes back to Revelation as well with the ten, the, the ten crowns, okay? And so there's a whole lot of this stuff. Again, over this is amazing to me. Do you realize that 40 different... Guy, God used 40 different authors over a period of 1,600 years to write a book that is consistent? And continually opening it, uh, revealing itself. It's just amazing to me. It's mind-boggling. I mean, I hope, if nothing else, that w- with all this, you're thinking, it's going to give you an excitement to read God's Word. I mean, this, this is exciting stuff. And when you pour yourself into it, I mean, i got stuff just kind of floating all together as I'm, as I'm, as I'm studying this stuff. And it's like Revelation jumps in, and, and Isaiah jumps in. And anyways, it's just fun stuff, okay? But you need to read it. You need, you, and you need to believe that God's word is true, that he's given you the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. Do you believe it or not? I mean, that's why he's giving you his book, so you can read this stuff, okay? So anyways, so you've got this flying scroll that's going to put out these curses, and then you've got this woman who's called wickedness. She's thrown into this ephah, into this basket, 
covered with a lead shield. I, I don't have an answer for the lead, but that's really kind of interesting, other than it's very heavy and she can't get out. But I'm sure there's something more to that. Anyways, but I don't have it. So still thinking about that one, kind of meditating on it, kind of fun. Anyways, and then taken to the plain of Shinar, okay? But from there then, okay, so we have this woman. We have these four um, chariots. Now, this is, again, amazing. How many people want to bring this back to, to Zechariah 1 or into to Revelation chapter 6, especially Revelation 6, because you got the four horses. And everyone's, oh, this is like the four, this is the four horses. This is not the four horses of the Revelation. These are four chariots. Okay, and the four horses of, of Revelation are what? What was the first one? White, good. What was the second one? No, not black. Red. White is, is everyone wants to say that's peace, but he's carrying a sword and he's on a white horse. That's a victory thing. That's Roman victory, okay? He's coming and he's got a sword because he got the, quote, peace, if you want to call it peace. He got the victory through what? Through warfare. The red horse is coming in. It's blood, and he's got a scimitar, okay? And you've got a, um, a religious war going on. I don't want to get into all of it. You can go back to listen to those messages, okay? And so you've you got this um, thing going on, and then you got the black horse, because coming upon all these wars, now all of a sudden you're going to have this, these famines and, and everything, or financial earthquake, okay, which is in, uh, the black horse, because the day of wheat's going to be, uh, you're going to get a quart of wheat for a day's wages and two quarts of barley for a day's wage. And again, if you go back, I give you an illustration on that. It's kind of fun. You've got a quart of wheat, you can make two quarts, two quarts of flour. It takes one quart of flour to make a loaf of bread. That means two loaves of bread are going to cost at least $60. You start to figure that one out. It's like, whoa, you know? Anyways, and then the final horse is pallor or yellow or it's really a puke green. It's kind of the, it's kind of the, ah, it's death. It's what it is. Well, that's not what these colors are. So what are these, what are the chariots? What's the first chariot? Red, second one? Black, third one? White, what's the fourth one? Dapple. Okay, strong steeds, but they're not the same colors in the same Order. Does that make sense? They're not the same ones. The same thing as with chapter 1 of Zechariah, when you had the, the horses there, you had two red ones. Remember, you had the red one that was first, and you, then you had another red one. They're not the same ones, okay? And so we're told about these guys. Who are they? Well, their duties, they are sent from the presence of Yahweh to various parts of the earth, to, to the world, to the north and the south. But note the special emphasis that's given to the north, okay? The, the north is talked about numerous times here. And so, again, I don't have the time to go to these, um, that's why I have the reference there, but we're, we're not going to go there. Ezekiel 38 and 39, when it's talking about the end times, and it's talking about Gog and Magog, okay? And they are of the north, Rosh as well. The, and so many people see Rosh, and they bring in it as Rasha, okay? And that's pretty much where um, the, 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 the kingdoms of the north are in that area, okay? So who they are, I don't know. But again, they're brought out in Revelation chapter 20. Isn't this kind of fun? The whole condensation, again, of the book of Revelation here brought together, okay? At the end of the millennial reign of Christ, Satan is going to be released from his pit, okay? So after a thousand years, he's going to be released from his pit. He's going to go out and he's going to deceive the nations one more time for one final battle. And we're told in that final battle about Gog and Magog. And so and Gog and Magog are going to be gathered together and, and all the other nations with them and they're going to come against Jesus after he's reigned on the earth for a thousand years, literally, physically, on the earth for a thousand years and he's going to wipe them out. Okay? So, fun stuff. So we've got these four chariots then who, who are we're told that come, okay? And they're going to go throughout the earth and they're going to perform the, 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 the work of God 
throughout the earth, okay? Whether it's gathering the nations together, but what we are specifically told that when they go into the north, what's going to be accomplished? What's going to be accomplished when they go into the north? Somebody read it. Zechariah 6. What's going to be accomplished when these guys go into the north? They'll set my spirit to rest. Don't does it make you wonder? It does for me. And now I'm not going to answer it. I don't know. What does it mean? Does it mean that people are going to get saved? Or does it mean that judgment's going to come? All I know is that God says they're going to go there to the north with a what? A specific cause. Okay? And I want to be strong where I, I believe I, I got something there but I want to be just void when I haven't got something. Does that make sense? And so, but what I do know is that God's got a serious purpose for them going to the north, and it's going to bring peace to God. It's going to set his spirit at rest. I think that's pretty cool, okay? So we get to the fourth one, where we have what I refer to as the crowns, note the parentheses with the S, okay? Because, again, in the Hebrew, this is plural, it's not singular. There's not a crown. There is crowns. Now, it could be used, like, so the, the word elaborate, when we read about the elaborate crown, the word elaborate's not in the Hebrew. It's not there, okay? Elaborate crown is how they're translating crowns. So, they're, so um, again, when you look at Isaiah 6, um, in God, Yahweh, isn't just holy. He's what? Holy. Holy, holy. He's not just holy, he's not just holy, holy, but he's holy, holy, holy. And so in the, the Hebraic sense that, that the, the greatness is brought out by, by multiplicity. Make sense? Um, and so, so could it be that this is a magnanimous kind of crown? It could be. But I find it very interesting that there are other ways that that could have been stated, to be very clear about it. But there are two, uh, two elements, uh, silver and gold, that are given to us to describe these or this crown. Are you tracking with me on this one? Okay. And you've got to make the decision as a translator becoming a what? Interpreter, how you want to translate it. I think that there are two. And I think that they play out with the, 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 the roles of Christ. You know, there have been um, priests who were prophets. There have been kings who were prophets. But there have never been kings who were priests or priests who were kings. David was a king. He was also a what? A prophet. Jeremiah was a priest, but he also was a prophet. But Jeremiah wasn't a king. David wasn't a priest. In fact, there was a king who tried to be a priest. Do you remember who that was? No, not Saul. Well, Saul did that too. That's good. Before it all happened, that's true. Saul. Say, Uzziah, yes. And he got struck with leprosy. That's exactly right. So every time uh, a king wanted to be the, uh, become the, the priest, God, something, something bad happened to him. Okay? But what we read here about Joshua, right here, okay, is that Joshua is the priest who's going to become the what? The king. That's because his name is Yeshua. And so, who was Yeshua? Jesus. 
Again, this is prophetic, looking toward who Jesus is, okay? And you're going to have this silver and this gold of crowns, okay? And so, dual, dual crowns, one, one crown, two facets. And so, Jesus wore, if you would, and I'm going to put the silver crown as the priest, the priesthood, okay, the, the mitre. And then he has the golden crown, which is the king. Which, think about this now, he's always, I, I get it, he's always been a king from the beginning. But physically, which crown did he wear first? The priest. He came as a what? What are we told in the book of Hebrews? He came as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And what did he do? He offered the sacrifice. What was the sacrifice? Himself. Himself. For how long? Forever. He offered it once and he sat down. But he's still waiting the day when he will wear the crown. And do you remember as we read through all those things in Revelation how the one was coming in the cloud and on his head was a what? A golden crown. Not a plated crown. Not a gold and silver crown. But a golden crown. Why? Because he's when he comes back, he's coming back as the what? As the king. Jimmy? Yes. Yes. The perfect perfection. Right. Yeah. So, so he came as that priest, but he's coming back as the king. But even when he comes back, this is exciting. Does anybody know what starts tonight? Tonight. Passover. Don't. It's Sachaf. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. Starts tonight. You guys didn't know that. You should be excited. Next week, we're going to be singing Jewish songs in the middle of the service because we're going to be celebrating. It's because next week, uh, Tabernacles actually ends next Sunday night. And so this whole week, you're supposed to be living in a tent, okay? So you've got to live in your booths. Anyways, I know you're not Jewish. So, but, so Tabernacles starts this evening, okay? Now, what's exciting about Tabernacles, when we talk about prophecy, okay, is that this is the millennial reign of Christ, the whole idea of tabernacles is a celebration of when God came to dwell on the earth. Okay? And Jesus is going to reign in the millennium, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the end of Zechariah, because it's going to come into play. The only feast, the only feast that every nation of the earth is supposed to come to Israel for, come to Jerusalem for, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Because it's a recognition of who God is, who Jesus is. He's God on the earth. And they, when, if they don't do it, then the whole next year, they're not going to get any rain. Okay? So it's exciting stuff. So Jesus, he came with that, that crown um, of, of iron as the priest, or, I'm sorry, silver, but he's going to be come back with the, the gold. Joshua. How is he described? He's described as the branch. Again, you go back to Isaiah chapter 11, and you read about that, that when Messiah comes, he's going to be the branch. So there are specific terms here to use that Joshua, who was a real man at the time, is being used symbolically, figuratively, to, to reference the future Messiah. Are you tracking with me on that? Okay. So this is exciting stuff. Okay. So you have the branch. And note what it says, because if you remember the word of Zerubbabel that we talked about two weeks ago, Zerubbabel laid the foundation, and he also would what? finish it. Remember? Yahweh said about Zerubbabel, he laid the foundation, he would also finish it. Okay? But now all of a sudden we got Joshua that he is going to be the builder of the temple. Who was the builder? 
from the word of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. But that was the what? The temple in that day. Remember I said there was going to come another Zerubbabel. How fun is this? Okay? Zerubbabel was who? Do you remember who Zerubbabel was? Um, I think so. I don't know that exactly. But what, what do you say he was? He was the what of the land? Administrator, the governor. Good, the governor. If we would, he would have become the what? The king. Make sense? Okay. So he was the ruler. And now all of a sudden you got Joshua, who was the priest. Make sense? Okay. Building the temple. So we're not talking about just the physical temple, which Zerubbabel was going to be a part of, but ultimately there is going to be what? The temple. The temple that Yeshua is going to build. Okay? Now, I don't think it's necessary here in this, but I think application-wise it is. When Jesus came, did he build a temple? What was, he, what was one of the accusations? That he would destroy the temples? He would rebuild it. Even if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. What was he talking about? Himself. Okay? Those who follow him, what happens? When you give your life to Christ, what's the first thing, the first thing that happens? The Holy Spirit comes into you. That's what makes you the new creature. That's when you're sealed into the day of redemption. Do you get it? When the transaction happens, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, and we're told by Paul and to the, to the, to the people of Corinth that we become a what? A temple. How cool is this? Yeshua is going to build a temple. Look, you didn't build yourself. He built you. He's the one who's going to indwell you. This is exciting stuff to me, okay? I mean, again, it's Old Testament stuff that's being brought in, okay? And so we have Yeshua, Joshua, who's going to do this. And finally, he's going to bear the glory of Yahweh. And we know that from John 1, that um, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And so when we go out, think about it, as the temple of God, having the Holy Spirit dwell within us, what should we be bearing? The glory of God. The question is, do we? Finally, he shall rule on the throne of Yahweh, Revelation 20, being both priest and king. So, do you believe that God has an actual plan for the end times? Do you, do you believe that God really does? I mean, we say yes, but do we, I mean, do you believe that the world as a whole and people individually will give an account to God for their actions? What effect does the return and reign of Christ have upon your everyday life? If we say we believe those things, it should what? It should have an effect upon our lives, does it? How does it? Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. We rejoice in you that you do have a plan for us. God, I pray that you would help us to, to live as though we do. In Jesus' name, amen.